Parsha Devarim Sicha Hey, which is also a Siyam of Masechta by the Zora, a summary of the Sicha. In this week's Parsha, it talks the the it tells the story of the Yidden wanted to travel through the country of the Goyim, and so the uh, they said, "You'll sell us your food. We're not asking for a donation of your food. You'll sell us your food. We'll drink your water and pay you for the water." So we learn from there the prohibition, at least a support for the idea of bishalakum. Bishalakum means food that is cooked by a goy, which is exerted the rabbanon that you're not allowed to eat that food. But the chachamim found support in the pasuk because in, our, in the pasuk in this week's pasuk it says, "You will feed me, you will sell me food, and you will sell me water." Just like water is sold to us without any change being applied through the goy, so also the food was only if it was unchanged, meaning not that they cooked that cooked, some food, kosher food cooked by a guy is prohibited. Now there are, there's a machlaikis about what happens if a guy cooks food, kosher food, but he cooked it, now the pots, are those pots permitted or not? There's a machlaikis about that. What's the reason that they say that it might be permitted? Because the whole reason why you're not allowed to eat bishulakam is because it could lead to intermarriage. If you eat, if you eat their cooked food, so you socialize and it make, there's a party and so on and so that leads to intermarriage. But in the food that is absorbed by the pot, that's not going to lead to intermarriage. So therefore, they say that's permitted. But the others say, and that's the halacha, that's the majority of the poskim say that also the, the utensils, the dishes are also asr, because whatever the chachamim prohibited, they also prohibited when it's absorbed in a keli. Period. And the Rebbe draws the comparison between this halacha and the halacha that applies to sukkahs, that chachamim prohibited using a plank of wood as schach that is four tfachim wide. Four tfachim is a relatively wide piece of wood, because that begins to look like a roof. There's already a roof on your sukkah. And the question, but the question becomes, what happens if somebody has a plank of wood that's four tefachim wide, but it's only one tefach uh, deep? So what happens if you turn it on its side? The only th- what's seen in the sukkah is only the one tefach. It's not really it doesn't look like a roof at all because it's only one tefach. So the halacha is it's aser anyway because that piece of wood, that plank of wood is prohibited as schach in whichever way you put it in other words, the piece of schach is prohibited it doesn't matter how you do it, so in a similar way the bishul akum is prohibited even if it's done even if it's presented in a way which could not lead to chasnas to intermarriage and as a, the Rebbe offers now a support for the opinion of the majority of the Paskim, which is that even if a utensil of a keli is absorbed by Bishulakam, it's still prohibited. From where? From the story at the end of Masechta Abedazar. The Gemara there tells the story. And that story can be explained much more simply, but makes sense if the issue is a keli which is absorbed by Bishulakam. And since the Gemara deals with it, so it means that. Even a keli that's absorbed by bishulakam is a problem. What's the story that the Gemara tells? Mar Yehuda and Bati Bartuvi were sitting in front of the king Shver Malka, the king Shver, which was the uh, king of the Persian Empire at that time. They brought before them an esrig, so a cooked, uh, imagine a cooked esrig. So the king cut off a piece of the esrig and he ate it himself. Then he cut off a piece and he gave it to Bati Bartuvi. 
then he cut, then he stuck the knife into the ground ten times as the Gemara says that in order to kasher a knife you stick it into the ground in hard ground ten times and then he cut a piece for Mar Yehuda so in other words the king kashered the knife before he served Mar Yehuda so Bhatti said to him and what about me? I'm not Jewish why didn't you do it for me too? So the king said to him, I wasn't sure that you uh, care about this. I didn't know that this was something uh, of importance to you. As Rashi says, I know but that Rabbi Yehuda is uh, careful about eating things which are prohibited. But I don't know anything about, I don't know if, you're import- if, if you feel that way. So that's one opinion. The, another opinion says that he said to, that the king responded to him, you remember what happened last night? And Rashi explains, what did he mean by that? the Persians used to offer as a part of their uh, welcoming guests was to offer a meal and also a woman so uh, but uh, Mar Yehuda when he was offered refused that offer but Bati didn't refuse the offer so it seems from these two versions in the Gemara that according to the first one the king was saying I'm not sure that you keep these laws from the second one he was certain that he doesn't keep the laws but that leaves the question if the king knew that Bati accepted the woman, so then what do you mean he's not sure about it? Of course he's sure. He knows that he violates the Jewish law. So why is he saying, I'm not sure? And you can't say that the machlekes between the two versions is, was that story with the woman true or not? Because they're not arguing about what, hacked, what the facts of the story were, only what was the reasoning, what, was the, what were the discussions, but not the fact that, he, that the story with the woman happened. Now, Taisvah says that Bhatti actually did not commit a sin by accepting the woman because he was a, a slave that had been given freedom but he hadn't yet received the document which gives him the official status of being free, a free slave. Just like a woman that discusses being divorced but if she doesn't actually get a get, she's not divorced. So he did not actually get the get. So on the one hand, he was semi-free but he wasn't fully free and therefore somebody that is partially still a slave is allowed to be with a non-Jewish woman. And what could explain the machlekes between Rashi and Taisa because Rashi doesn't say that. Rashi, it seems, agrees that he was prohibited from being with her and it could be based on a machlekes between Rashi and Taisa and Masech Gitin, where it talks about somebody that said, he said, I don't know what happened to my slave, he disappeared on me, I give up hope of ever seeing him again that's considered that he was mafkir the slave, he gave up hope which means he declared it ownerless he removed his ownership from it so the question, but he still needs a get he still needs the star to give him official status as a freed slave so he is so the Gemara says Ein takana, he, there's no solution to him he needs the star and there's a machlegis between Rashi and Tais what does it mean Ein takana? Rashi says that he has no Solution because he can't marry neither a, not a Jewish woman because he doesn't have a star, but he can't marry a non-Jewish a slave woman because he's partially freed. But Taisa says no, he's allowed. He's, it means that he's not allowed to marry a Jewish woman, but he is allowed to marry a shivcha. So that's why they applied this same opinion to this story over here too. But he was also a semi-freed slave. Taisa holds that he's permitted. Rashi holds he's not permitted. So we have to understand, according to Taisus, if he was permitted to be with a woman, so then what's the king throwing in his face? You know, remember what happened last night? There was nothing wrong with that. He was permitted to do that. Another few questions about this story. 
we can understand why Bhatti felt that he had to eat the thing, even though he probably was, you know, concerned about eating non-kosher, because you see that when the king, when he saw that the king knew about koshering, so he said, why didn't you do it for me? So in other words, it was something that concerned him. So why did he eat it? He ate it because he felt that it would be insulting to the king not to accept it, and that could be Pekulach Nefesh, you can get killed over something like that. So therefore he was allowed to eat it because it was a question of Pekulach Nefesh. But the question is, about what about the king? Why would he give something? The king, uh, the Gemara says that he was someone that knew halacha and he was involved with the Jewish people. He respected the Jewish people. So why would he feed him something that he was not permitted to eat? And saying that I'm not sure that he cares about it, that's not a reason to give him something that's non-kosher. Maybe he is, he is careful about it. Even according to the other opinion that he had done something sinful the night before, whether it was actually sinful according to Rashi, or the, the king thought it was sinful according to Taisus, but it wasn't really. But just because he did that, in other words, that he wasn't able to control himself there, doesn't mean that he's, he should eat non-kosher. And maybe that is something that he could would control and he wanted to control. So what does, it, what does it mean, bringing up that sin? That is not a reason to feed him something non-kosher. And the question becomes even more. The king stuck it into the ground after he served him, before he served Mar Yehuda. Why couldn't he do it a minute earlier and then serve them both from a kosher knife? So this whole thing could be explained by f- accepting that the problem with this knife was not that it wasn't kosher that had been used to cut chazer or nevela. It was an issue of bishulakum. That was the problem. How do we know that? It's logical to say that. The king who has everything, and he has a knife for every single thing, does it make sense to say that he uses the same knife that he cuts his barbecue for, for cutting fruit, for a fruit platter? He was cutting an esrik. Is that the same knife that they use? Of course not. So therefore, it's not talking about a knife which they use to cut non-kosher meat. The issue was that they used this knife to cut cooked fruit. And some of those fruit cannot be eaten without cooking, and therefore it is usur, it's prohibited because of bishul akum, and therefore using a knife which was absorbed by bishul akum is a problem. That's what the Rebbe says is a support for that opinion which says that cooked, uh, that uh, when a, a keli is absorbed by bishul akum, it's still a problem. We see that from the story based on the explanation that this, the problem with this knife was Bishulakum. And now we can understand what the king was saying to him. Remember what happened at night, according to the second opinion. The whole reason for Bishulakum is because it could lead to intermarriage. So the king said to him, what are you worried about intermarriage for? Don't you remember what you did yesterday? You're, you are allowed to be with a non-Jewish woman. Why would this be an issue to you? And even though we said before that, that even in a case where it doesn't apply, the reason for the gzeda doesn't apply, it's still prohibited, that's only in the case where the reason for the gzeda applies, but only not in this particular situation. But for a guy like Bobby, the whole re- Bati, the whole reason for making a gzeda of Bishulakum is not it doesn't apply to him because he's allowed what are you going to say he shouldn't eat bishalakum because it may lead to intermarriage he's allowed to intermarry there is no problem so it doesn't make sense to say that he has to be careful from bishalakum so that's what the king said to him 
you don't have a problem with Bishulakam. That's why I didn't have to do it for you. And even according to Rashi, that says he was not permitted to be with that woman, but the king was saying to him, you're worried about Bishulakam. <laughs> you, you don't worry about the problem that Bishulakam is trying to prevent. Why would you be worried about Bishulakam to begin with? To explain why the first opinion says that it was about something totally different, I'm not sure if he eat kosher or not, and he doesn't want to rely on this whole uh, non-Jewish woman issue, is because we could explain it like this. There's two reasons why that are given in the Gemara why the Chachamim prohibited Bishulakam. One is, as we said, because of intermarriage. The other one is because if you socialize and you eat together with a guy, eventually he'll feed you something non-kosher. So therefore we could say that the first opinion of the Gemara, which makes it about eating non-kosher, he was there of the opinion that the, real, the main reason why you're not allowed to eat Bishulakam is because of the kosher food, non-kosher food. The second opinion goes according to the opinion. The main reason is because of intermarriage, and that's why they made it about a discussion about intermarriage. But we still need to understand in the end, why did the king not do it a moment earlier, before he fed Bob Bhatti? Why He's going to do it in a minute later to feed Mar Yehuda. Why not do it a little bit earlier? It's true that maybe it's uh, he's not so careful and so on, but why does he care to do it a minute earlier and he can help him too? So the answer to that is, the halacha is that a person of importance is not allowed to do physical labor in front of the people because it diminishes his stature. Certainly that a king is not allowed to. Even an ordinary leader is not allowed to. Certainly a king. And even a goy, because the, it makes uh, Jews have to respect the goy as well. So a king um, is not allowed to do that because the purpose of... Uh, why do we have to respect the king? Because, as the Mishnah says, if not for the fear of the king of the king or of the, of the government we, people would just kill each other they would swallow each other whole so in other words it's about making keeping an ordered society and therefore the Jews also have to show respect to the king so therefore a king is sitting there with two people is he allowed to bend down and sta- stick a knife into the ground ten times that's not something that a king is allowed to do in front of people for, so therefore for a person like Bati who he knew because, as we said before, it was a matter of pukoch nefesh. And he knew, when he said, I'm not sure about him, what he meant was, he'll eat if I offer him a piece of esrig, even though I cut it with my knife, because it's a question of pukoch nefesh. He can't insult the king, and therefore he'll eat it. So then, for me, it's prohibited to bend down and do work in front of him. He'll eat it anyway, so I'm not allowed to do that. But when it came to Rabbi Mar Yehuda, he said, him, I know that he's never going to eat anything that I offer him if I don't make sure that it's kosher to the 100% degree. So therefore, I know for sure that he's not going to eat it. I, I could kill him for that. He's the kind of guy, the Gemara says that Mar Yehuda is one of the old guard. He was from the old, the good old guys. In what way? What does the Gemara mean by that? It explains that they would go on serious nefesh to sanctify Hashem's name even in things which they were not obligated to. So the, the king said, he is not going to eat from this if, I don't, if we don't take care of this knife. Therefore, there he had no choice. He had to do it in order to be able to serve him. So he felt that it was important to do it. And he did that on behalf of Mar Yehuda, but not for Bati. He was prohibited for doing it for Bati. 
And this is a lesson to us. Here we have a king that there are two Jews sitting in front of him. One of them is afraid of the king and he capitulates to the king. He'll eat from the king what the king serves. And it's true, it's because of Pekoch Nefesh. He finds the heter, he finds the reason for doing it. The king doesn't respect the person like that. He says to him, you know, I don't know. This guy, I don't know. Then there's Mar Yehuda, who, even though he has all the justification to eat what the king served them, but he doesn't, because he, he's, he's willing to give his life, even on something as small as that. There, the king, not only does he make sure to accommodate him in every mitzvah that he needs, and even a hidr mitzvah, that is something which, according to Allah, he could have gotten away with it. The king says, no, I will, I will accommodate him even in this hidur, which he doesn't, really, he doesn't really have to do. And, not, and the question is, why did the king do it himself? He could have told the waiter, you know, here, stick it into the ground ten times. He could have given it to Mar Yehuda himself. You stick it into the ground ten times. But he didn't. He respected Mar Yehuda so much that he himself was willing to, to do something which a king is not accustomed to doing. A king doesn't do that kind of thing. But out of great respect to Mar Yehuda, he did it himself. And when we behave in this way, that will put, as this is a siyam of Masech Abay this will put an end, the siyam means an end, this will put an end to Abay and Avaidazara will be no longer be in the world. It will be Hashem Amlucha. Hashem will be the king of the whole world. The Hashem Lamelech Al Kalaritz, the Karav Mamish, speedily in our days.